Hey, I'm Matt Hudgens. He's Dave Mulvaney, and this is Profitability MD. Dave, how you doing today, buddy? Man, I'm doing fantastic. We have a special guest today, Dr. Matt Champagne. Good to we have two Matts. It's Matt and Matt. The Matt and Matt Show. <laughs> All right, give him the introduction. Let's read his introduction for me. So, so let's give a short bio on Matt Champagne. He's got a PhD. Uh, he's been a researcher, a university professor, author, speaker, serial entrepreneur. Um, his courses and products, products are based in psychological principles. Uh, and basically, he's, what he's done is he's developed 96 million data points by gathering over 8,000 surveys um, to over 550 paying clients and university clients and clients such as FedEx, Verizon, Nielsen, even the U.S. Department of Energy and Education. So uh, Doc Champagne, he likes to be called Doc, but Doc Sh Dr. Champagne has been named the Technology Visionary of 2015 by Survey Magazine, which is pretty cool. So um, it's for his career in, in pioneering uh, work merging psychology and technology um, to create never before seen customer feedback solutions. That's a big intro, Matt, but uh, Matt and I got introduced um, several months, well, probably yeah, several months back, and what he's doing with surveys is just unbelievable um, for speakers, authors, coaches, any platform online, and so that's why we invited you on the show today, Matt. Good to have you, episode 46. And so, how you doing today? Terrific, thanks for having me, fellas. Yeah, all's good, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a strange niche to be the, the survey guy, but that's how I've, you know, spent last 28 years is telling everyone how they're doing their surveys wrong, but if they would only do them right, apply some science and some psychology, it really is our most powerful tool, unfortunately, since it's used so poorly, it becomes more of a burden and obstacle. Nobody likes to fill out surveys and when we have to get the results. It's difficult to determine what your people were saying in the first place. So, so, so how did you get into this? Doc, how did you get into this? Like why surveys? Why, why surveys? How'd you get into this? There had to be an well, impetus, a story. Yeah, well, I, I was trained as a psychologist, mathematical psychologist, and there's a lot of math and psychometrics that go on in surveys. But my field was actually decision-making. Uh, my mentor had devised a model of how to predict the decisions people would make. And it was incredibly accurate. She was, you know, she was so far ahead of her time back in the, in the 80s. Uh, but I was always interested in how people make decisions. And when I took my first job as a university professor, a decision that students make all the time is in their courses, the course evaluation. How was your okay. instructor? How was the course? So that's, I kind of moved into that field, uh, coming up with tools and applying correct mathematical equations and such to the decisions made, which then got into online surveys as well. So that's why. So you were, you were gaming the system. You wanted to get better surveys from your students. <laughs> ah, good point. Yeah, that was at the time of, you know, uh, rate my professor and all that. Right, uh, right, came right. Out back there in the 90s, for sure. No, I'm teasing. So that's good. So that's literally you were doing it because you guys needed it and you were already using it and you just wanted to make it better. That's what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, at the time, uh, you know, the idea, I, I watched our secretaries at the end of every term and they have the Scantron forms, you know, because all the students fill out yeah. the bubble sheets and they, they slide them through the Scantron. And I watched these ladies, Betty and Jean, our secretaries, every night. It's 
six o'clock at night, seven o'clock at night, and they're feeding these forms through. And I'm like, you know, we've got this new thing now. It's called the World Wide Web. Why don't we move all this paper online? It was such a crazy idea that I got a lot of funding to uh, start a laboratory. We built the first laboratory dedicated to evaluating online learning. Uh, but my own university didn't, you know, didn't support it. They said, oh, you know, this internet thing, it's not secure. You know, faculty will never want their evaluations done. So it became such a, a burden. I actually left higher ed, took my three smartest grad students, and we started a company, the first company that, I've, that was known to put these surveys online and gather, uh, you know, responses from students and faculty and manage it all through the World Wide Web. So who was, I'm sorry, Dave, uh, who was your first client and what'd you tell him you were doing? Like, how'd you get them? Oh, that's good. The uh, first client, uh, gosh, I wish I could remember her name. She was from, the, uh, from UPenn. And we told okay. her that we had this new product called My Class Evaluation and how she could get better feedback from her students while the class was still in session. Why wait until the class is over to ask students how things went. That's what we do. Even to this day now, 25 years later, we wait till when the event is over, the conference sure. is over, the training is over, your vacation is over. Then we ask people, how was that? It's too late. Who cares? That's why people <laughs> don't fill out your surveys or give you any feedback. It does not matter. We call that the autopsy approach. You wait till the event is over to figure out what went wrong. But we told this professor, we will get there right at week four and at week six, and at week 10 of your online course, gather feedback, share it with you, and then you can make improvements and then demonstrate to the students that you made improvements, then ask for more feedback, and then make improvements. And it was you know, revolutionary at the time, but now even still 20, uh, where are you now, 21 years later, it's really not, it's still not uh, widely available that our, the companies that we do business with don't ask us for our opinion on an ongoing systematic way. They don't share with us the results of the surveys. They don't tell us what they did with the, with the response. We took the time to fill out your survey. What'd you do about it? They don't tell you. So even back then, uh, you know, 20 years they later. They probably tell they, all their advertisers, I'm sure. They, <laughs> they hand that information out like handy when they take a survey, but they never tell us. You're right. Yep. But then they ask us again, hey, take, take your time to help us improve our products and services. Why? But, but it's over. I know you're not listening to me. And a lot of times, you know, we, we feel like they're, that they're thinking about us. I had a buddy that, you know, he, uh, he's a prolific author and Amazon sent him a survey and he said, Yes, I am the perfect person to answer this. And he took all, he took so much time. He went through, you, you could do this and that. And he thought he was really helping them. He hit submit and he got the generic message. Thank you for helping us improve our products. And he was like, oh my gosh. He, he just like a kick in the gut. He said, they didn't care. I was the guy that could help you improve your business. And you treated me like, I'm just a number here. I'm just the, the guy that gets the survey. That's, what, that's just one of the many things wrong with the way that we uh, treat our customers with surveys these days. So what, are, what do you think are the, are the reasons that companies suck so bad at, at, at surveys, man? What, what, what did you, I mean, you know, but tell us why, why do companies suck so bad at this? 
I don't know, there's just, I try to teach them to, to change mindsets. It's a really difficult mindset that everyone's in. First off, the autopsy approach. That's, it's just, it's always been that way. You always wait to the end to ask people, you know, what went wrong or what could we fix? The mindset should be, you ask while it still matters. What's in it for me? You ask me while it still matters. While the online course is still going on, every week in our membership group, you should be asking me while you know I'm at the conference, why are you waiting till the conference is over and I'm heading home to ask me how the conference is? So that's one of the mindsets. Think about it, asking for frequent ongoing feedback. That's one of the mindsets that, that needs, to, uh, needs to change. And there's several of those. The, uh, well, that's a good point I was gonna ask you. So let's go into some of those mindsets that need to change. Because what, what you're saying to me, it sounds to me like, you want to survey your clients while it's going on. That's got to be key while it's going on. You want to actually make changes so you can actually show your clients or customers that you, Hey, I actually listened and did something about it. And therefore you might give me even more feedback in which case uh, I'll make it even better. Is that kind of a, almost like a feedback loop? Talk that, about your mindset. That's exactly right. In fact, I call it closing the loop. That's one of the principles, okay. the nine principles I teach. Principle five is closing the loop. You share some nuggets of results with your audience. You don't share all of it. That's not necessary. We did you know, studies for years and years about how much feedback is necessary and really not much at all for me to say, hey guys, take your time to fill out my, and that's what I even tell my customers. I tell them when I do a survey, I say, I have nothing to give you that is worth your time. It's the most valuable thing you have. But if you will answer these two questions for me, I will share the results with you. I'm gonna show you that your voice was heard, what you said made a difference. I'm gonna show you how you compared to everybody else. That's what I'm gonna give you back. So when I do surveys, I expect to get 80% to fill it out. If I don't get 80% to me, that's a fail. But I tell that to people and they're like, that's crazy. We all know when you do a survey, you get 2% or 5%. I said, yeah, if you're doing it wrong, if you give people if you close the loop and tell people, I'm gonna share these results, you can't get these anywhere else. I'm gonna show you how you compare to everybody else. That's what I'm gonna give you back. Then you do, you deliver. Then I follow through on some more questions because it's a survey conversation. Now I say, oh, that's great. Here's what you said and here's what everybody else said and here's what we did to make some improvements. Hey, I got another question for you, Matt. Can you answer this question? And again, I'll share the results. And you see this upward tick over time and people get engaged. And I've heard people tell me, when's the next survey coming out? It's like, how crazy is that? But not <laughs> crazy because they know each survey is an opportunity for them to learn not only how to help me get better so it can make a better experience for them, but to see how they relate to all their colleagues or their members or uh, students in their class, their peers. So how do you, um, well, let's, let's start with, Who's your, who would make your perfect customer, customer man? Who, what, what would, what's your, per, I don't want to call it avatar, but who's the perfect customer for Doc Champagne? Gosh, I guess, I mean, somebody who has struggled with, uh, with surveys because it's tough with some folks, you'll, you'll say, well, this is what I do. And they'll say, oh yeah, we got that. We, yeah, we, we know how to do surveys. And I, I hate to break it to them, but I've reviewed and critiqued about 8,000 surveys over the years. I can count on two hands the number of surveys I said, yes, 
this is well done. When I see the results of this survey, I will know exactly what your people are thinking, what they need, what they're expecting. It almost never ever happens. And that's because their response rate is really low. So it's really not representative of their people in the first place. The questions are poorly worded. The response scale, which is the, you know, the answer like strongly agree to strongly disagree, that's an example of a response scale. That response scale type doesn't match the question. So the results you get are, are squishy. There's all these things that fall apart because creating surveys is a skill, just like everything else is a skill. But you know, people don't look at it that way. They go, oh yeah, we've got SurveyMonkey and SurveyGizmo and yeah, we just type things in. But like anything else, it takes training and skill and experience to write the right questions in the right way and deliver it at the right time, get high enough response rate so it's meaningful, then be able to interpret the data. And that's just what's missing. It's just kind of a, just a lack of understanding of what goes in to getting into someone's head. As a psychologist, the survey is our most powerful tool for getting inside your head, but it's utterly useless when it's put together poorly. So I'll say that, ask this question cautiously. So do you think it's just because they don't know, or do you think it's because they just don't care? When you're talking to clients and they're like, oh, I got this. I mean, those are really two important questions because some people like some speakers don't care what the audience thinks am i am i right on that so is there a percentage of people who don't know they need to do good surveys and a percentage of them who don't care what, what's your opinion on that well it, it could also be those that are scared to hear the results because you know face it it's it's not a good thing when you get feedback that's not that's negative which you will it's a difficult thing to handle and I guess I don't think of that often because I've been doing this so long, like negative feedback just like hits me in the face and bounces off because I'm, you know, I'm looking at it as, as data. But that's a tough thing to hear what people have to say that's not positive. And uh, another reason is, you know, they think it takes a lot of time. You know, we always have these, the annual survey, the end of term survey. And it seems like such a big thing. Oh, we got to gear up. I hear these companies. Oh, we got to gear up. We got to. We got to make sure every department's represented. We got to get questions from everybody. Oh, we got to do the analysis, the results, the reporting. And they turn it into this like really incredibly difficult when it's not. It's a survey conversation. I say, hey, Dave, uh, what would totally make it worthwhile to attend my event? And you say this. And I say, well, that's interesting you said that because other people said the same thing. Hey, I got another question. It's as simple as that. You're asking, but you're asking specific questions in a specific way uh, so the results are accurate, but it's just, it's a back and forth, it's a conversation. So if the mindset was changed to some people that this isn't like a big elaborate event, the survey is just a conversation with your people, but you have to ask the right questions in the right way so that you'll know what they're saying. So what are some of those questions? Let's just say you're, We'll just talk about an event. Let's say, because Matt and I are going to put on an, um, a, an event um, here in the, in the spring. And, um, and let's say we want to know what we want to know before the event. What do you want to learn? What are the, what question, what would the questions be that you'd want to, that, that we would want answered? Because I have no idea what those questions would be. What would those, some of those questions look like? 
that, that we would want and, and how would they look to other people who answered? Yeah, okay, so, so let's start there. Uh, let me give you a bad way of asking it in, in a good way because uh, this is often a question that's asked uh, poorly. So a way you could ask it poorly is before your event say, uh, hey, what would you like us to teach? Or you know, what would you like to learn? The problem with that is people will tell you and now you'll have this huge range of stuff and you're looking at the responses and you're thinking, you know, no, we're not covering any of, you know, like half of this, we're not gonna cover or we don't have the expertise for this. We were gonna talk about these topics. So then what do you do? You, you teach what you're good at and maybe you bring in some speakers to, to cover some other things, but there's some topics that you don't cover. Well, you asked. So those people are not coming to your event and say, what, where's this content? You asked me what I wanted. And this happens so often is on surveys, people ask these open-ended questions and then people will give irrelevant answers or things that can't be changed or things you're not gonna do. And now you've made the situation worse because now you asked them for their feedback and you ignored it essentially. So I've, seen, I've actually seen that in, I don't wanna, not, never Jeff Walker, but some of his students, they, they, they create courses based upon the pre-pre-launch content. If you've never read his book, you, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about right now, but um, you ask questions and you, to, like what your audience wants is then you provide a course based around that. Well, if you don't get everybody's answers in there, then you missed it, right? So, so that's the wrong way to ask the question. What would be the right way to ask that question? Yeah, and, and in that example, that's exactly right. You get an unrepresentative sample. People do this all the time on Facebook. Hey, what should I name my book, you know? Or, you know, or what content should I teach in my course? And they get 12 people to respond and they go, you got it. Here's the course you wanted. And I'm like, what was that 12 out of 15? Was that 12 out of 15,000? Like, why would you base this on so little response? So yeah, that is a huge problem on Facebook. It's a problem with the launches anywhere that you don't know how many people in your audience. So you have no idea if this is just like doing a, uh, an election, you know, you think of, presidential elections and things, they have certain numbers they have to reach so that the numbers, you know, so our validity. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't reach that, but we, we rarely reach that in the questions that we ask, but a better way of asking that question is, is have some structure around it. So you might ask which of the, of these 10 topics would make the most impact on your business. If, if you knew the answers to these eight questions, which would be, you know, most motivate you to want to come to the event or, you know, which of these five things would really, you know, push the needle for you. So you give them a little bit of structure uh, because now people can focus on that and it makes it easier for them too. You don't want to make surveys challenging. So many surveys are challenging. Here's a question that you'll see all the time. Now I see it all the time on Facebook and elsewhere they'll say, uh, what is, uh, what's the most challenging, you know, what's most challenging in your life today or something? And I'm like, why are you asking? That is such, what, in what? In my relationship with my wife, with my kids, with my finances, with my bit? I don't know, the, the very first one, now you're, now you're making people think. And once they start thinking, they're gone. But why, this is a waste of my time. Yeah, but if you were ask them, you're hiding a dead body. I mean, that could actually be a challenge in somebody's life, right? I mean, <laughs> that could actually be an answer if that's a could. challenge that someone on your Facebook page were thinking. Of course, I got off track there. Sorry, man. 
No, no. I, so wait, I was going to say, so is uh, Doc, is this a good question? Because I've seen this before. Like, what's the, the one thing you want to learn more about marketing? What's the one thing you want to learn about whatever, a particular subject? Is that more specific or is that too specific? The only thing I'd change with that is take out the word the. Okay. It, now, this gets really picky pants and it, it drives people crazy, but that I'm, I'm just basing this on the 96 million data points I've collected over the years that right, right, right. like the, because it, now this is, you know, rule number one of psychology, people are different. So this isn't true of everybody, but some people will take that and say, what is the one thing? Okay. And now they're stuck. They're like, okay, I got to make it the one, I got it, the most important. And then they'll think it through. But if you just take the word the out, it's amazing that people, a lot of people will just say, what's one thing you need help with in your business? What's one challenge you're facing now with your finances? And so just that removal of the word the, then it's like, oh, well, I have a lot, but you're just asking, well, it's one of them. Here's one of them. But they tend to pick, you know, an important, sure. urgent one. So your, your mission is accomplished by asking that question in that way. That's, that's great. That's actually really good. The, I'm changing this. I'm, I'm on this long, the same lines. Now you got me all fascinated. So you can say, what, what is it? What's, what's, what's one challenge that's facing you now in your business? What's one challenge that's facing you in your marketing right now? That's a more specific, but not too specific is what you're saying. That's what, right. Yeah. That, or if you, if you already know, cause sometimes you'll ask a question so many times, um, you know, like for events, one of the questions I'll ask is, you know, something like, uh, you know, it would be the, the challenge question, but I've asked right. it so many times that I have a good idea. Here are the 15 things. There's rarely sure. anybody that picks beyond these 15. So I'll sure. say, well, which of these 15 are a challenge to you? And okay. you'll know the same in your business. There's things you already know, and you're just trying to get gauge where people fall on that, uh, sure. on that list. That makes sense. The, but that's uh, different. If you're just starting your business, you might not know. So you, you tend to ask more open questions just to kind of see what your people are all about. But once you're at a, you know, you're at, at that level and you can kind of focus in, you can make those questions even more specific with categories. Do you go back into detail? So let's say you ask that question. What's one challenging thing your business is facing now? And then how do we keep the conversation going? What's another question or how did, how did cause you were saying it's almost like a survey conversation yeah so maybe I, I might uh close the loop so that might i might do this by email or in let's say i do it by email so i've asked them that yeah. question i get the results i close the loop i send them the the email uh a couple of days later i say thank you for responding here were the top three answers uh mindset um you know uh transitioning from your nine to five job to to an online uh, job or on your own and uh, finances or something. Sure. That's really interesting. Just so you can see, there were many answers, but here were the top three. So let me ask you uh, about mindset. You know, how many of you fear A, B, C, D? You know, you, you have, you know, like the imposter syndrome or whatever. So I might drill down within those most popular answers, or I might ask people, um, you know, you suffer from, from more than one. So what you're doing with the close of the loop is you always want to give them something useful, but then you always want to ask a follow-up question that helps you as well. So it can't be totally self-serving like, you know, hey, do you have decision-making authority in your company or how much right, money right. do you make? Uh, 
but it can't be you know too far the other way that this doesn't help you so but there's a lot of questions that are right in that sweet spot that would help you help them but also the results would be very interesting to them can i can i ask a question matt um that let's move to a a stage now you're in an event you've got a speaker that um you're doing a survey for the, to the audience let's say you've got two different speakers and you provide them data you ask questions of the audience during the event because i i do know that you do this very thing what's the difference in audience response be between the speaker who like takes the survey information and adjusts their speech to the audience and the one who does it what's the difference in audience response can yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's just it, it can't show you slides here, but it's just off the chart difference. And and we've done this uh, multiple times. We did it again this summer at, a, at an event where we asked an insights survey. So before the event starts, we ask key questions of the attendees about why they're attending, what would make it worthwhile, the challenges you're having, like the questions you guys were asking. But then we feed that back to the speakers. And we tell the speakers, hey, just wanted you to know, these are the people in your audience. They're having these challenges. They're here to see this. They can't leave until they know more about this, this, and you know, these three things. And most speakers will take that information, modify their presentation somewhat so that they can speak to the audience. Others either don't have time or, or they neglect to do that. But when you look at the data between the two groups, the ones that take the feedback from the audience and then speak to it, use the jargon that they used in their responses and address the points that they thought were most important. In almost every case, 100% satisfaction rate. But wow. when you look at the people who don't, who ignore it, who just kind of give this, the talk that they were gonna give, you might find they have maybe 80% approval. The problem is people look at 80% approval and say, well, that's pretty good. You know, I went on somebody else's stage, I was selling something or or giving them some information, and 80% said it was, you know, it was really good. I must be doing well. Well, <laughs> relatively, if you would have used the feedback, if you would have heard from your audience, listened to them first, you would have been at 100 percent and now you have fans for life. And isn't that what I mean? So you've got fans for life because why they because they did what the audience asked for i mean is that really what it boils down on a psychological level yep that's yeah on a psychological level so uh let's say i'm i'm the speaker at this event i've already asked people ahead of time what's going to be their problems and issues tell me about you know your superpower i've asked a, a series of questions now i'm on stage and i can say to them you know i was going to talk about these three topics in this session but guess what? I heard from you and you said these three were most important. I still think what I'm going to present is important, but let's tackle your problems. This is why you're here. You said you came here. You needed these solved. Let's get them solved. I go through them. Then I get to my material. And then I might even say, you know what? Some of you said you wanted to know about this topic. You know, I don't know anything about that. Is there anybody in the audience who specializes in this? Oh, you and you? Hey, raise your hand. What's your names? Can you get with this person? They need this problem solved. And people are like, 
what is going on? They're like, I came to this event. And so what are you doing? You're giving kudos to people that could help others in the audience. So you look great. They're going to probably get some business. You're solving problems of people in the audience. You can say, hey, does anybody else in this room have a problem with this? Oh, you three? Okay, why don't you guys go meet You know, at the break? Uh, and you just march through and people are just astounded because they're like, my voice was heard. What I said made a difference. Why would I go anywhere else? Why would I stop following this guy? That's how you keep your customers for life. And you can really feel, if somebody does that, you can really feel, I would imagine you'd be like, boy, this guy really gives a crap about me. This guy cares about me. This isn't the old adage, you know, it's not, you know, um, it, you know, how much you say it's how much you do or, you know, to show you care. I, I know there's an expression. I just can't think of it right now. <laughs> People don't care what you'd say. Uh, anyway, um, that being said, it really shows you care. If you adjusted your, why? Because, all right, this week was Pete Vargas week like never before. Last 10 days have been Pete Vargas. Stages, stages, stages. You only need one speech, right? One speech, one speech, right? That's what he kept saying. Well, what you're saying right now is, okay, but if you can adjust on the fly, you'll make fans for life. Am I right on that? that that's right. And that's, it reduces the burden. Like, I don't have to be Tony Robbins on the stage. I don't have to be, it puts a lot of pressure. Man, I got to move right. And I got to like, you know, do it. I can just stand up there with my notes in hand. And I've done that and said, Here's I asked you why you're here, and here's somebody said this, and others said this. There's people in the audience who said that. And they're like, "Hey, I said that," and other people are like, "Well, I didn't say that, but that's exactly how I feel." And then I can tell people, "Well, you know, only 20% of you said you're here because you wanted to get more confidence in this topic. That's okay. We'll, we'll cover that. Uh, I just want to let you know there's there's other people like you in the audience." You don't have to be Tony Robbins. You just have to listen to your people, ask the right questions in the right way when it matters. I asked before the event. This happens so often. People will ask questions during the event. That's too late. When, when that camera turns on and your webinar is going, now is not the time to say, hey, uh, what challenges are you having? That's too late. The time to have asked was before the webinar. When I do a webinar, that camera turns on. First slide, it says, 88% of you wanted to know about this, and 60% of you want to know about this, and 30% want to know about this. And I tell them, this is what you said, this is why you're here, and I'm going to solve these right now. That's the time to ask, and then you deliver, you close the loop, you share the results, and you help them where they are. People just don't see that anywhere, and when you do it, they're amazed. And I this, uh, oh, sorry, this reminds me, so, um, I love this, by the way. So I'm going to a conference tomorrow that does live responses. So I'm going to respond live, I promise. I think usually I didn't respond live last time I was up here. But Doc, what you're talking about is one of the things we've talked about in the past would be you need to be able to describe to your prospects their own problems more clearly than they can describe it themselves. So this survey, you're actually helping helping yourself being able to do that, right? So if, I, if I'm asking questions about the audience, what do you want to learn? What are your most challenges? And then I'm relaying that back. Hey, I heard you, the biggest challenges are, and I'm using their language to describe it. 
that's actually one of, uh, I think it's a psycholo psychological trigger that actually helps them think that I know how to solve their problem because I can describe their problem better than they can. You have comments that's, on that's that, great. am I on the right track? Yeah, yeah, so, so you, I mean, what you said is, is true and, and that's what we you know, should do is, as business people, using survey correctly gets you to that goal. And that's right. true of, of a lot of what we do in business, say, well, we should do it this way, but you, you're not using the tool that can get that information out of your people's head. I've heard it said so many times, uh, people don't know what they want. Right. Like, wh where does that come from? It's because you're asking the wrong questions. If you ask the wrong questions in the wrong way at the wrong time, get an unrepresentative sample and then say, wow, my people just don't know what they want. It's you <laughs> put together a crummy survey, put together a good survey, and you will magically find that people do know what they want and what they need and what they expect. So a lot, a lot of wrong-headed thinking, I think, goes on in business because we've used the tools the wrong way and uh, you know, just don't know any better. Give me, give me one quick story. Like I'm sure you can use this in all kinds of industries. Give me an unusual industry where a survey that you, you guys use that was cool. I mean, you could use it, obviously, we said in coaching, education, restaurants, I would assume. Give me, some, give me a funny story. Oh, gosh. I, well, when we started out, we you know, weren't business guys. It was a, a professor and his three grad students. So we took on every you know, job out there. Uh, we did high school football officials. Okay. All right. If you think about it, on Friday nights, there's seven officials out there. My wife was actually one of the officials. Uh, but so she kind of got the gig for us. But, yeah, yeah. you know, these guys have to rate each other's performance at the game. And then on Monday, they evaluate each other based on, you know, their performance. So, again, asking the right questions and, uh, in the right way and then being able to share this with everybody. They would wait to the end of the year because somebody has to put all that data together. It's like, well, that's sure. too late. Like, the end of the year. And so we put it together in such a way that on Monday – after a Friday game, they could share accurate feedback, learn from each other, discover from each other similar mistakes made in, in, in other games in other cities, and then resolve them there and just become a fast, quick and quick and quick, becoming a better football officiating unit, uh, an association. And they actually were the, in the Atlanta area. It was considered, you know, the, the, the primo uh, association uh, but that's just a way of a team you know an organization using feedback in the right way to improve everyone in the organization oh so, that's awesome that is a great story yeah <laughs> sorry that's a good one go ahead Dave. like if you were serving like nfl officials your question wouldn't be how much did you make on that awful call that wouldn't be a <laughs> question that that's would, not a survey question not that's not a good survey, survey question <laughs> yeah, NFL fans might say we, we need that for the, for the current uh, year of officiating, for sure. Well, Matt, we covered a lot. Um, Matt Hutchins, you got any other questions for Doc? No, this, this is actually great. So, so I have uh, two businesses, and I did a survey of my clients at the end of last year, so December of last year. Um, you're, what I'm getting from this, and what I did with it was I used their words to say um, – uh, here are the things that, that we do for clients. What I didn't do was thank them for this, their participation or acknowledge that I was listening to them. So uh, the two things I would say would be, I need to close the loop as, as Doc is describing here. And 
What I also like is I should do it more frequently, not just that was my first survey in three years. I should do it more frequently. I don't know, Doc, if you say once a year, or four times a year, I don't know what you say a good amount is, but I need to definitely close the loop and I need to do it more often and have more of a conversation. Would that be a yeah. fair statement? It is, and, and as many times, uh, we did a uh, study with solar training. So this is uh, workshop, classroom-based training. We asked for feedback every day for 19 days. Wow. And you say, well, that's crazy. You know, people get survey fatigue, like only if you do it wrong. But with, when we asked them 19 days in a row, on day 19, the response rate was over 95% because each day we're asking, you know, what could we make better for tomorrow? What, what obstacles to learning did you have? Did anything not land for you today? Then the instructor would walk in there on day two and say, oh, here's what you had to say. We're going to, you know, I thought this was review for you, but apparently it's not. So let me go over that point again. And people are like, wow, they heard my feedback and now they're making changes. So at the end of day two, of course, people would fill out the evaluation form, the survey at the end of day three and four and day 19. So you can never, it's kind of like copy, like how long can your copy be? You know, pages and pages, you know, it doesn't, as long as it's interesting, right? And the same is true for your, how many times can I ask my people questions? Every day, if you want. As long as you're asking interesting questions that are gonna help them. And we've done this for chiropractors. Imagine chiropractor, you know, patients yeah. sitting in the office. Yeah. They got nothing better to do. They get on their phone and answer our surveys. And then we feed that back to the doctors who then close the loop and share the results with the patients to say, hey, we heard what you said. Here are three questions the doc's going to answer for you this week. And people keep responding and keep responding. It's not a burden to them. It's actually they want the results. You want to hear the results from them. So it's just, it's just a win-win. So daily is fine. That's fantastic. All yeah, right. the key is closing the loop. All right. So, hey, uh, Doc, where can we find out more information? You, by the way, you have a book. You need a book if you don't have a book. You got a book, a website. Where can we find out more information? Well, sure. I mean, the, uh, one of my principles, principle two, is asking the right questions in the right way. So I wrote a book uh, four or five years ago called The Survey Playbook. And if you follow those 25 bits of advice, it's the 25 things wrong on most surveys. If you did that, that would satisfy one of those principles. You'd be able to write a good survey. So the survey playbook is a good place to start. Uh, you can uh, check me out on uh, uh, matthewchampagne.com. And maybe I'll do a matthewchampagne.com slash MD for Matt and David. And I'll put an infographic because I've talked about the nine principles, but realize, okay. you know, most we didn't really go through them. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I'll put the, uh, I'll put the infographic on that page, matthewchampagne.com slash MD. And, and your uh, folks can download that and see what, what the principles are all about and see how many that they're applying in their, in the way that they ask for feedback from their members and students, clients, and customers. Well, I think we need to have you on again. We'll invite you again because I want to, I want to hear our audience wants to hear those nine principles as well. Um, and that'd be awesome. That'd be great. Be great. And terrific. We'll close the loop next time and uh, share some of those results back. That's it. <laughs> that'd be awesome. Thanks for right, joining man. us. Uh, if uh, we will put your website in the, uh, in the show notes. And if you like this video, subscribe and comment below.
Thank All you. right. Thanks, Doc. Appreciate it. Dave, take it easy, buddy. You're welcome. We'll see you soon, guys.